0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 177. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to discuss Disney's Ice Princess as we continue our Winter Olympic Month. Spoiler alert! This was the first time I ever saw this movie.
1: (laughs) Uh, Not my first time seeing it. Honestly, I don't remember if I saw it in theaters, but I do have the DVD. You
0: know, I remember when Michelle Trachtenberg was in this movie because our generation remembers her really as Harriet the Spy because when that movie came out, it was such a big deal because it was Nickelodeon's first film. And... She went and did, I think, was it Road Trip or Euro Trip? I think it was Road Trip she went and did. And that was, like, like a big thing. Like, Michelle Trachtenberg's in this, like, American Pie wannabe movie. And then she's doing Ice Princess. So I remember, like... it. Like, in many ways, it did not make sense. It, it, some of the, like, the, the string of films that she had over those couple of years.
1: Well, she also has, and it's also no surprise that you might not recall, she was Sarah Michelle Geller's sister on Buffy. So she had a huge cult following from that.
0: I never watched Buffy.
1: I didn't either, to this but day, I knew I've, she was on it.
0: And that surprises a lot of people because that was, like, such a show of its time. I've never seen a single moment of Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
1: That might be fun to do now as adults and just see if we can get into the campiness of it.
0: And yeah, like see if like the 90s-ness of it. And that's I'm that's a word I created, the 90s-ness. Like if it jives with us now or if it's cringeworthy.
1: We love the 90s-ness.
0: We do. So that might be one that we have to go and investigate again. So... This film, Ice Princess, it's a first for me. It's a re-watch for you. It's a re-investigate for you, for a lack of a better term. The question is, you own the DVD, but if you saw this movie for the first time today would you still buy this DVD and does it hold up and that is what we are here to discuss.
1: This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co, and check back on Mondays for new straw charm drops.
0: Science geek Casey Carlisle is attempting to obtain a scholarship to attend Harvard University. At her physics teacher's suggestion, she decides to make her some Physics project focused around figure skating, which is a hobby of hers. At least it is in secret, except it's not, but at the same time, it is. She decides to partake (laughs) in a junior skating camp as a means of researching the physics involved. She is taught by Tina Harwood, a former figure skater who. ...is also the mother of Casey's classmate Jen, who is a figure skater as well. After excelling in her camp, Casey decides that she wants to skate at the regional competition. She works a side job at the rink's concession stand to continue... Paying for Tina's coaching and helps the other skaters perfect their form using the science that she applied in her project. Her grades start to slip and her mother voices her displeasure with her time spent at the rink which causes tension between Casey and her mother and between her mother and Tina. She continues training behind her mother's back, and at the competition, she outshines Jen. So Tina sabotages Casey by buying her new skates, knowing that it would injure Casey and hurt her score. But of course, she does it as if she's done some grand gesture, and the whole time it's a ruse, which should surprise nobody, because as we learn, Tina has a history of cheating and was thrown out of the game's... Uh, in Sarajevo, because I guess they couldn't say Olympics, so they just called it the games. Casey quits and accuses Jen and her brother Teddy on being in on it, which they both denied because, of course, neither one of them were in on this scam with Tina. Eventually, Jen and Casey reconcile, and Jen quits the skating competition, opening up a spot for Casey at the sectionals. Tina agrees to coach Casey again, and against her mother's wishes, Casey pursues skating, giving up a chance at Harvard in the process. At the sectionals, Casey wins the silver medal and qualifies for nationals and has a shot at the 2006 Olympic Games, and now her mother's proud of her.
1: I want to preface this review with something. This may not matter so much to you, the listener. It may just be pressure that you and I put on ourselves, Sean. We go through great lengths not to talk about these films after we've watched them before we come to the microphone. Yeah. We want everything to be fresh. We want to be sharp.
0: We want to be authentic. We want you guys to get the real conversation.
1: And the natural reaction. So we really do try hard not to say anything to each other about the film after having watched it. But for me, I'm not even going to say having grown up on this film. It came out in 2005. I was in college already. But as I said, I own the DVD. I'm not going to say it was one of my favorite movies, but it was something that I enjoyed at the time. So I would glance over to see like what your reactions were if you were into it. And I happened to see a page of your notebook and it was almost full. And we just watched Miracle last week, which is one of your all-time favorite, not just Disney movies, just all-time favorite movies, period. And you probably had double the amount of notes on this film as you did for Miracle.
0: Well, you know, because Miracle is quite... A perfect film, and sometimes you don't need to say much. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm burying the lead. This is not a perfect film, and I have a lot of things to say about it.
1: Is it more the high school tropes or the sport movie tropes or a combo of both? It's neither. You Ooh, know what it really? is? I
0: think. You know what? I'm I'm kind of glad we're starting on this conversation because I I kind of want to get this out of the way now and i'm sure that it will come up as we flesh this out there are certain films that when i sit to watch i sort of cast away my um my, how i cast aside how judgmental i'm going to be because there are just some things that on the surface you know what you're walking into
1: mm-hmm.
0: i know without having seen this before it's dated It's going to have a dated soundtrack. It's going to have all of the high school tropes. It's going to have all of the inspirational, you-can-do-it-underdog sports tropes. And it's going to be a lot of Michelle Trachtenberg falling down as she hones her craft. I know that before I even see it. So that is not at all what bothers me. What bothers me, and I'll, I'll put this out here now, and we'll circle back around to it, is her mother. Her mother is, is really, and I like Joan Cusack a lot, um, her mother is a big problem for me. Some of the dialogue just in general is bad, and I think that a lot of the plot devices are lazy. So I'm just putting that out there now. Does any of this surprise you that this is how I'm presenting it?
1: Not not how you're presenting it, because that was very articulate. And you didn't just sit here and be like, this is a stupid girls movie. So I, I appreciate that.
0: I went to college for four years for radio, folks.
1: <laughs> I'm just... I'm surprised at what you are taking issue with because that's not what I... I mean, it is bothersome. You're not wrong. The, the whole mom character, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about her because mm-hmm. she's so problematic. She's she's awful. She's just terrible. She straight up is. Um, but I really thought the cheese factor is what was going to bother you the most. It, you know what?
0: Like I said before, there were just certain movies you sit down to watch And you kind of have an expectation in your head. And if it lives up to it, you're not disappointed. And if it exceeds it, you walk away happy. Um, I mean, a perfect example. And then we actually will start talking about this. I think I was 11 years old when Good Burger came out. And my mom took me and my brother to see it in the movie theater. And even as an 11-year-old, I knew I was going to see a really stupid movie. But I didn't care because I was going to see Good Burger. There are just certain things you sit to watch and you know what they are. And that was that's what this was for me. Okay. All right?
1: Well, for me, I think the two most obvious comps, and you probably haven't seen either of these, are Save the Last Dance and Center Stage. After the popularity of Save the Last Dance, there were a whole bunch of these spin-off or, or rip-off movies, I should say. Um... And what I liked about this one was that it broke away from a lot of the tropey things that those dance movies would show. Save the last dance. She lost her mother. Her mother died in a car accident. Is that Julia Styles. Yes. Okay. And she hadn't danced, but she wanted to get into Juilliard. And looking back at that now her Juilliard audition is the most cringeworthy thing I've ever seen because at the time it was like, ooh, she's inserting hip-hop moves into ballet. And now it's like after how many years of So You Think You Can Dance, we see that all the time and we see this kind of innovation. Back then, I dare say it was groundbreaking, but if you watch that choreography now, it's terrible. It is absolutely Like this was your Juilliard audition? To put this in context, Adam Driver went to Juilliard. Fair enough. You got you got to pull out the big guns for Juilliard, and and that ain't it. And Center Stage was an even more cheesed up version of Save the Last Dance. So for me, in high school, I danced. I loved those movies, and it was refreshing to see Ice Princess do a little something different because you didn't have the prima ballerina, you know. And they tried to take the the average Jane and put her on the ice so just conceptually i liked what they were trying to do here and i mean you know she casey is labeled the science geek right but to me she doesn't read your stereotypical geek she's not supposed to she's just an average girl but you know she's she's into physics but she doesn't dress the part she's not um She's almost, if I had to compare it to something, it's almost like Mean Girls, right? Like how Lindsay Lohan's character, she's the mathlete, but she doesn't look like your, you know, big thick glasses, what we used to, what we used to stereotype a nerd as.
0: Yeah. And now it's called geek chic. And now you want to look that way. But you're right. Uh, She is labeled as the brainy, ugly duckling, though. Like, how dare you? You know, like that's that's how it's labeled on Disney Plus in the description of the film. That's what there's. That's how they refer to Michelle Trachtenberg. That's
1: right. No, I'm not saying how dare you. I mean, how dare Disney for yeah. for, for because first of all, it's it's shaming, and you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't have done it then, but like now that we we are paying much more close attention to body shaming, you certainly shouldn't be using that as a descriptor. And I would hardly call her ugly. She's just not wearing makeup. Michelle Trachtenberg is gorgeous. Are you kidding me? See, like, here's the thing. If you called
0: uh, Anne Hathaway's character in The Princess Diaries an ugly duckling, you can kind of get away with that because they do have her with the unkempt hair, the big thick glasses, not wearing makeup, like, beyond plain Jane. Right. Right. And then, obviously, once Julie Andrews gets her hands on her, totally different story. And then there was that other film that we reviewed on the show that admittedly, I'm slipping. Teen Spirit? Yes, Teen Spirit. That one made sense, too. But, like, in that case, you had a girl that was, like, that, like, geeky, you know, uh, scholastic, throw a dart at any of those tropes. She looked the part until she had her makeover. So you're right. Like, Michelle Trachtenberg's character here, Casey, she just looks like an average high school girl.
1: Right, and I think that that's one of the things that this film tried to do differently is instead of taking that academia girl who is so busy with her schoolwork, she doesn't have time to put effort into her looks, that's always where this trope came from and why, you know... Like an Anne Hathaway character in Princess Diaries, that's why they were unkempt, as you put it, because it was a visual cue as to she doesn't care because she's focused on other things. Here, it's, it's a big part of Casey's character that she can be both, and it's also setting her up to rebel against her mom.
0: Right, her mom, who in the very beginning, in the opening credits, seems so happy watching her daughter skate on that frozen pond in
1: the summer. (laughs) Yeah, there's some serious continuity issues here. It's just so strange that mom
0: has no idea. See, it's starting already. Mom has no idea how much Casey enjoys skating. In spite of the fact that she has her own frozen pond in their backyard and mom watches her skate with a big grin on her face. And Casey watches figure skating on television and knows how to score it. Mom has no idea that Casey loves to figure skate.
1: Right. And that's the thing. It's kind of setting it up to believe that it's something that she's always done. Like I said... I danced. Some girls rode horses. Some skated. Some did gymnastics. You know, it's it's a thing. It's a hobby. Um, you know, and if, if I'm mom looking out the window, I would be like, wow, what a well-rounded daughter I have who's good at math and is also into sports. Because for those who have not seen this movie, there's no dialogue. uh. You know, the opening credits have just ended. Nobody said a word yet, but mom is banging on the window holding up a math book. Right. Visual cue. Come in. Time to study. Yeah, so you have to convince her to come inside. And Casey asks for five more minutes. Now, this was one thing that I was thinking of, and and maybe it's a continuity error as far as how warmly Casey is dressed and or the pond being frozen over in the middle of the summer. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's not summer because... Why would, why would she have the math book at that point? Why is she doing homework? But my, my thought was possibly that this is supposed to be after. Like we're seeing that Casey can skate and the rest of the movie is unfolding to show us how she got there. Because she's better here than she is by the time she gets to her first lesson. We've established that she likes to skate, but I feel like by the time we actually put her on the ice rink, she's worse than she is on the pond here. Agreed. Now, I will
0: give the film credit. From the jump, they don't waste any time setting up the premise of the film. They don't waste any time establishing that she likes figure skating. They don't waste any time establishing that she needs this physics scholarship and that this is her means of doing it. And the premise is not bad at all. It actually makes a lot of
1: sense. Right, because it's not just a school science project, uh, which I think also would have sort of backslid her into the trope that she was just going ham for a school grade. This is about a scholarship, and they go through painstaking efforts to establish that they need this help if they're going to get her into school.
0: Right, because it's Disney, so you only have one parent. We don't know where dad is or why. But it is implied that they need the help, you're right, and obviously they need it because Mom wants Casey to go to this very expensive Ivy League school. What doesn't make sense about this, though, is when we get to the ice rink and she's got her camcorder out, Tina and the other parents think, she's spying on practice, she's with the CIA, she's going to distract the kids. None of them want her to be a part of this when she's telling them this is a science project.
1: Well, she didn't lead with it being a science project. I actually really like that choice because it truly is that competitive. And especially, I think, more so for the parents than the kids that are actually the ones performing. Uh, So I think that was a smart choice. Uh, Not, not only to try and give it a little bit more realism, but I think it's great for plot and for character because you've got Casey meeting her first obstacle. And I think this is a really strong introduction for Tina.
0: Um, it's okay. I, I mean, I, I, I suppose you're right. Stage mothers, we've seen them all on Honey Boo Boo and whatever the hell is on TV, I guess. But I don't know. There's just something to me that just seems completely off-putting about it.
1: But even more so than just what we've seen on TV, I mean, you're telling me that when you played sports when you were a kid, you didn't have the parents who were extra hard on your kids. I mean... Maybe for me, it was a little bit different because I did dance. I never danced competitively, but that was why, because I never wanted that pressure put on myself. It was something that I did for fun, but I certainly saw it.
0: Uh, Yeah, there were parents that were especially hard on them. My dad was hard on me in baseball. Uh, You know, he was the type where, you know, if, if we were in the batting cage and he threw the ball too hard, I'd tell him to slow it down. He'd throw it harder because I told him to slow it down. I was like 10. Um, But I guess, I don't know. I guess I just look at it differently. (sighs) Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe because, not that figure skating is not a sport, but because I played something that was a team sport. To me, this is a sport that's also pageantry the other thing, though, is that they haven't really established exactly what it is they're doing yet. You just know that it's figure skating practice, and they all think that she's going to distract them with a video camera. I don't know. It's just, to me, it's, it's justify it as you want. It's not jiving.
1: Fair enough. What I take issue with in this scene is that I feel like it becomes very hard to root for Casey because she's whining so much. Once she gets... Tina's approval you know Tina's son who's the Zamboni driver no street shoes on the ice (laughs) yeah and and eventually Casey's crush uh, he's the one to vouch for her when he when he looks through her notebook and he sees that you know there's all these physics formulas and, and he's like okay She's legit. She is what she says she is. And Tina gives her the approval to start taping the practices. And then she's like, it's really not me you have to worry about. It. It's the parents. So Casey's making her pitch to these parents. And she's so whiny. And for an otherwise very articulate char- character, I know she's, you know she's supposed to be nervous. She's supposed to be tripping all over herself. But she's not very endearing here.
0: No, and the fact that the parents say don't be a distraction and then she's literally walking up to their kids, sticking a camcorder in their face and plugging it into a computer, that that is exactly the thing they asked her not to do and now they don't care that she's doing it.
1: Well, I guess that does sort of set up why she eventually starts applying it to her own skating. Yeah. One, one of the reasons, because she needs to be in it more... Uh, she completes her research, but she doesn't feel like she's got enough, and that's eventually what pushes her to do it herself. Right. Nobody seems to bat
0: an eye or care that she's a 17-year-old girl in a skating class amongst six-year-olds. Nobody seems to bat an eye or have a problem with that. It's her <laughs> doing the project that they all seem to be very confused and concerned about. Right. Um, and to your point... It, it's not clear exactly where in the timeline we are at the start of the movie um, when we see her skating because the physics whiz who can skate now can't skate again. So it you just there is something that is missing here with this setup.
1: I mean, even just as uh, something as simple as no street shoes on the ice. She has skated on the pond, she should know better. She has a pair of skates. She knows you have to be in the blades. Like why also being that you are filming on an ice rink, why didn't you bring those with you? Why would you why would it even occur to you to walk on the ice in street shoes?
0: We're we're going to start asking
1: why in this movie. <laughs> we're I mean start asking why. I, <laughs> I would buy it more if she was having trouble navigating the video camera and keeping her balance. But we've seen her skate. So I do I do have to say that we've not talked about, and we are gonna break down the character a little bit more, you know, after we do our, our plot review. But I have to give it to Michelle Trachtenberg, though, because they are not shooting a close up of her face and then cutting to a wide of somebody skating. She was in it. She was on that ice. They started her feet, tilt all the way up. It's still her in the shot. There's no cutaways. They're not replaced. I mean, I'm sure some of the harder stuff, they had a pro skater come in. But I would say she did like 75% of this heavy lifting by herself.
0: So did Hayden Penetier. Both of them did a lot of it.
1: So to go back to my initial point that I was trying to make, I give a lot of credit to the actress for being able, proving that she is able to skate well and then have to pretend that she can't and be, you know, tripping all over herself, which, you know, kudos to her. But at the same time, it just didn't make sense for the character who we have seen skate well. And correct me if I'm wrong here. I think the pond skating is harder.
0: Um, it's different. Um it's not as it's not as fine as an ice rink the ice at a rink is a little bit softer um i've skated on both we used to play pond hockey all the time it's it, yeah it's very different but like I learned how to skate on a frozen pond. So if you can skate on a frozen pond, to me, it was easier to go to an ice rink.
1: Exactly. And I mean, I get that she's starting to do more tricks, but again, we saw her do that on the frozen pond, you know, and it's, she's starting in a class of young girls. It's not like they threw her in with Hayden Penetier's character, Jen, to start at that level. She works her way up to that level because she's got this raw talent. But again, we're going to praise her for the raw talent and you can barely make it out of your first class. Another big issue I have with this scene, the continuity here, we go from her first practice, we see the progression montage. Then we come back to the Zamboni when this is not no street shoes on the ice. Yeah, I, this is when time. she has her first interaction with um, Teddy with Teddy on her own. But she's back in the first outfit.
0: And she's skating on the ice while the Zamboni is out there. And she has spent a lot of time at the rink by now because she's already well into doing this project for this scholarship. So by this point, you know that if a Zamboni's on the ice, you as the skater are not. I mean, yes, what you're talking about is a technical issue. I'm talking about a character flaw.
1: Right. No, and I mean, I'll buy, I can even give you a pass on using the same outfit because they're supposed to, you know, be budget conscious. They're not very wealthy. I'll give you recycling the outfit, but her hair's the exact same way.
0: Yeah. So, again, it it just causes too many questions with where in the movie are we in the movie right now?
1: No, and as far as the ice, you know, they try to romanticize this moment. I just wanted to see what it would be like to skate on something so smooth I never have. You know, you're trying to to shoehorn that rom-com element in, and it just makes it too cheesy because she should know better.
0: She should. All right, let's get out of this ice rink for a little while. Let's talk about mom again and how mom barges into her room while she's getting changed because they're getting ready to go to this Harvard meet and greet. It's not an open house, but it's a Harv it's a Harvard thing.
1: It's not even an interview. It's like a It's like a
0: weird social where everything rocks.
1: Oh my god. You know what? I would really like to believe that you're trying to portray Harvard. You had some some better dialogue than that. Really?
0: No. And you don't have a better outfit either. But I actually like this awful outfit that Mom buys because she looks just like Mom. Right. Mom dresses her just like Mom. She doesn't dress her like an 18-year-old. And I like, actually, that they go this way with it because mom is socially awkward enough where she barges in on her daughter while she's getting changed, but then she dresses her like a 40-year-old to show how detached she is from reality.
1: The barging in trope has bothered me since I was a kid. When it w- Whether it was sitcoms, whether it was films, it's two knocks... Whoever is on the other side of that door is struggling to hide whatever it is that they don't want their parent walking in on. And then the parent doesn't wait for the all clear and they barge in anyway. Like, have you people never heard of locks?
0: You know what else doesn't make sense? Mom complains. You're living at that rink. Yes, mom, she is. To get a scholarship. Because remember she's still working on her physics project for the scholarship. She hasn't turned it in yet. Right. So if mom wants her to go to Harvard so badly, and this is a means of getting her there, why is she so adverse to it?
1: The other thing that they completely gloss over is not just her mom being ungrateful about how hard she's applying herself. She's also working at the rink. Right. Now, Casey is doing that so she can fund her lessons. We know that. But don't you think that mom would appreciate that she's trying to save some money for college?
0: You also need to have a job on a resume. Right. It looks good for college if they see that you balanced school and a job. That's like college admissions 101.
1: Right, and this is also Harvard that we're talking about. We also... You know, you mentioned the outfit that mom dressed Casey in for this.
0: Whatever. Uh, prospective
1: student Harvard whatever. The Rory Gilmore mixer or whatever you want to call it. I want to circle back to the outfit for a second. Okay. The skating outfit, which is under the 40-year-old outfit her mom dressed her in. Right. And it almost pops out during the mixer. Drama. Um, we, we sort of glossed over this and I feel like this is such a big character element for the mom and this is probably what makes me dislike her the most is that for someone trying to raise such an independent girl mom sure doesn't know how to build strength and she's not only putting Casey down a lot of the times that has to do with Casey's appearance, but she turns her nose up at all of Casey's interests from the moment that, you know, she realizes that Casey is taking, is working with Tina. I mean, she doesn't necessarily know that she's taking the lessons from her, but she knows that Tina is involved in some way with this physics project and she says to her, oh, I would just die if I ever had to put on one of those little sparkly dresses. Right. And I I get that we're trying to establish a feminist character here. What they should have done earlier was establish that she is a professor, I think, for feminist studies. They never come out and say it because when we see her in class, they're talking about books uh, but I, I think that's what they were driving at, and they never fully flesh it out. Much like the rest of the mom's character.
0: Yeah, um, th- that's a that's a big question that's left unanswered. She's kind of just nasty for scholastic sake,
1: right? And not to keep taking it back to the outfit again, but. I think that's part of why they went so far in the other direction with this 40-year-old outfit, as you put it, because symbolically, albeit heavy-handed, it is covering the sparkly dress. And I think that that's why they made it so over the top.
0: So, yeah, she's in the sparkly dress because she's getting ready to perform at the recital with the six-year-olds. This is just so damn awkward. She's so out of place with these kids, I cannot get over how awkward this entire thing is. It's uncomfortable to watch.
1: See, I actually think they did a good job with what they had to work with. And maybe this is, again, not to keep taking it back to dance, but that Bjork song that they did, that they skate to, that was in every single recital the year that it came out. And they did the exact same thing. It was like a cute little girl who came out in the beginning and she did like the shh part. And then usually in dance, like the little girl would run off the stage and then the solo performer would come out and like do their big number. So I thought they kind of, it was the reverse here, but I thought they kind of got clever with it. And, you know, they made it something that covered the age range and they still spotlighted Casey with a little bit of a solo.
0: Did it bother you that the judging table was on the ice that the judges are sitting at a folding table on the rink?
1: Yeah, there's no planet that that would actually happen.
0: No, but Casey scores very high. Lily gets very upset that she didn't score as high, and in one of the legitimately funny lines in the movie while Lily's complaining, she asks Tina why she didn't score that high, and Tina says, because you're six, Lily.
1: But because of Kim Cattrall's delivery, you are fully expecting something profane to follow that up.
0: Right, because... And I wish they had. Because at the time, this this was like primo sex in the city. Yes. So Actually,
1: no. Was it after? Yeah, but
0: that show had so much staying
1: power. It did. You're right. But, I mean, Kim Cattrall was known for that. She was known for being, you know, just... She, she was that character. I think she embodied Samantha.
0: Right. Um, I mean, I can't really comment on it other than I know that that show is a phenomenon. That's the most I can say about it. But um, from there... You know, Casey wants to perform in this regional competition. She finds out just how expensive it's going to be, so she backs out. Says, okay, I've done this. It was for my project. I had fun. I'm moving on. What I like is that the rest of the girls, Jen and the rest of them and the jumping shrimp and all that, um, they don't ostracize her, like, after it's all said and done. And they don't ostracize her for becoming the favorite amongst the junior group. I like that they sort of embrace her and they accept her in and they they accept the fact and acknowledge the fact that she is very talented.
1: I'm glad that you bring that up because this is, again, I think something that this film tried to do a little bit differently as far as breaking out of the high school tropes. And I want to talk about Jen in particular and how her story parallels Casey because when we first meet her it's about three minutes into the movie and you've got the popular girl trope right she's handing out invitations to the party she walks up to Casey they're doing the slow motion with the wind blowing in her hair and then she gives Casey an invitation to pass along to someone else so they paint her as this really shallow person but as we start to peel back The layers of this onion we see that yes Jen is working very hard at skating and she likes skating but we see her boyfriend come to a practice and give her a burger not allowed to see her boyfriend he knows better you know Tina bites his head off over it for even showing up and she's certainly not allowed to eat the hamburger Um, so we start to see that what Jen is pursuing and, and you know, she has all of this opportunity from Casey's POV is not all that it's cracked up to be. And now that Casey's come out swinging with this raw talent and she's jumped to their level, uh, you know, the girls obviously start to respect her because Casey can do what took them years to do. And, um, but I think this is where we start to see Jen feeling like she's let off the hook a little bit.
0: Well, you kind of get this like prince and the pauper thing, right? Where the
1: grass is always greener.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they each want what the other one has, and the and they each think the other one has it so much better than
1: them. Right, because Casey realizes how she's starting to realize how much she enjoys this beyond the physics project. And Jen is envious that she can come and go to the rink as she pleases and she can have a life outside of it. And now this is where your high school tropes do come into play because Jen assumes that Casey's hanging out with her boyfriend outside of work. And, you know, she's just enjoying being a normal teenager when really that's not what Casey's life is because... She's been so immersed in academia thanks to her mom.
0: And what works here is the fact that you needed to make Jen a sympathetic character. Yes. And so that's where this movie and that's where the screenwriting succeeds. Because without that, you have no reason to root for them as friends. And you have no... It would seem so uncharacteristic later on that Jen would give up her spot and be so upset with Tina that she sabotages her when that when that comes into play later in the film.
1: Right, and they do a really good job of setting that up because now Casey has realized not only that she likes to skate and wants to pursue this, she learns that her program is working. In fact, that is how she can afford to stay in this at the next level because her, she turns in the project, the teacher uh, says it's so good. You could sell it. And that's what she does. And now she's applying it to these three girls at her level. And it goes more from Casey has earned their respect to now they really start to bond uh, once they see improvements in their own skating. So The bond goes so far that Jen decides to take Casey to this party that she wants to go to, even though Casey's really her cover story to get to this party. She convinces her mom, I'll still be up early for practice the next day, and they go. And now is the point in a stereotypical high school film where Jen would have ditched Casey, but she doesn't. She makes sure that she's okay before she sort of goes off and does her own thing. Uh, and that's where you start to see that there's a lot more to Jen than meets the eye.
0: Yeah, and you have that stereotypical, the high school party in every high school movie. Um, yeah, and Jen makes sure that Casey is set up with a guy, and Casey blows her opportunity because she's just very Casey about it. Um... But wanna... that's
1: okay because Teddy's there.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, like like you do. Like, you know, the, her, her sibling just happens to show up unbeknownst to anybody.
1: Um, right, and then it's like, why did you need the cover story?
0: So I want to talk about the project that she sells at her teacher's suggestion. I like the fact that she does it, but I bet Tina doesn't because Tina is such a control freak And she's seeing what's happening. And at some point, one of these girls is going to mouth off and explain how they figured it out, especially if they're paying Casey for the help. It's like, to me, Tina's such a control freak that she has to be the coach. It can't be a coach plus this physics thing. It's No, no, no. It's all about me.
1: Well, I think that's because Tina never really believed in this program as much as she has taken a liking to Casey at this point. Uh, and I think that plays into she appreciates Casey's raw talent. She appreciates Casey's enthusiasm. I think even I, I would even go so far as to say that she recognizes that Casey probably does want this even more so than her daughter at this point. Um, I don't think that she believes in the science behind it. And it's interesting because at this point, even Casey has says, we we can apply the science all we want, but the science doesn't make the jumps. That's all on you. And that is what Tina is refusing to recognize. Yeah.
0: Um, Can we also talk about the fact that Tina bought the rink that she teaches at with her divorce money? (laughs) And that... Teddy just says it so casually. Like yeah, uh, mom bought it with her divorce money. Well they bought- but he doesn't even like reference his father. It's just mom bought the rink with her divorce money.
1: Right. and again, that is poor screenwriting because they gloss over that and they never even explain what happened to Casey's father.
0: No. And, and the, the animosity between at least in at the start, between Tina and Casey's mother just seems so unmotivated, and it gets explained why later. And, and actually, uh, it actually, it's it's even worse when they explain why. It's so petty and stupid. Um, we'll get to that in a few minutes. It they're just like the screenwriting in this moment. No, the screenwriting is weak. The entire movie because it's really weak here. I think this is where it actually becomes its weakest from here to the end of the film. I think once you hit I don't even want to say the halfway point. I'll say once you get a third of the way in the movie, the the screenwriting just hits the wall because this movie is the same five scenes over and over again. It's I'm good at skating. I have no faith in my skating. Tina doesn't like me. Tina believes in me. Mom hates skating. It's the same five scenes over and over and over and over again.
1: You're not wrong. And I feel like we're even falling victim to that right now as we're going through it. Because I feel at certain points we're talking about two different scenes. Yeah, right. And we're actually not, Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're just so similar. To circle back, though, to what you said about the divorce money, I wish they had omit that altogether because I feel like that would have been an even better conflict for Tina and I believe Joan, Joan Cusack, her, her character's name is also Joan. Uh,
0: I'll confirm that for you right now.
1: I wish they would have explored that a little bit more because to me, Joan has all this disdain for Tina's skating career because she wore sparkly dresses and doesn't even acknowledge the fact that she is a business owner now and has this entire arena and is coaching these girls. You're she right, was it's n- Joan, yes. Yeah, she was never going to respect Tina to begin with. Um but you know, for somebody who is supposed to be this great feminist character, you know, it it just would have made for an interesting conflict if she refused to acknowledge that
0: the successful entrepreneur exactly just because she doesn't agree with how she got there, right? Um. All right. So let's talk now about. I I, I think at this point we're we're up to this regional competition. Yeah, I there think.
1: there were a couple more montages.
0: Yeah, again, it's the same five scenes over and over again, folks. It is the same five scenes. This movie could be summed up in 15 minutes. 20, if you want to stretch it out with a little bit of, of dialogue. And You yet, want a little bit you of, expe- <laughs> ex, uh, ex, you know, if you want to just like give it a little extra, I'll go 20 minutes. I'll give you 20 if you want to flesh out some characters with some dialogue. 20
1: minutes, says the man with a full 8 by 11 page of notes.
0: Yeah. And you know what's crazy about that? It's the same five scenes. (laughs) How bad do you have to muck it up to do the same scene over and over again for an hour and 40 minutes? And yet it's completely convoluted it's confusing and you do nothing most of these characters now okay I'm gonna I'm burying the lead again I don't care most of these characters run 360. almost none of them have a character arc almost none of them change they just they just run a circle
1: I would say probably the biggest character arc is Jen yes and she's not your lead character nope
0: and that's a problem within itself.
1: Right, because at this point Casey's supposed to stand up to her mom, but she never really does. No, she just takes
0: she takes her licks and keeps going. Exactly. She's a whipping post. All right, now we go to this regional competition. Right? And first off, the music dates this movie.
1: Oh, so badly.
0: Okay. Um it really really does um
1: except for no i can't can't say that because the the rocker trope girl the rocker stereotype uh-huh. she skates to pink pink holds up the why they removed the lyrics to trouble is beyond me
0: yeah and then she goes from having just black hair to having black and purple hair in a matter of minutes um there's a lot of continuity issues in this movie.
1: It's not die, it's extensions. You just clip those things right in.
0: Oh, okay. What do I know? It's
1: part of the outfit.
0: Sure it is. Um <laughs> we just like we love skating and we love gold. We love skating <laughs> and we love gold. What that somebody actually took the time to get paid to write that into a film. This is the I think was this the end of the Eisner era? Was this at the tail end of Michael Eisner? Was this before Bob
1: Iger? 2005.
0: It it was on the cusp. I'll go so far as to say this movie was greenlit with this script under Michael Eisner. (laughs) We love skating and we love gold.
1: Oh, my God. I forgot all about that. I didn't. I I have to say, though, I do love this jumping shrimp character and the parents and, you know, that they're throwing all of the eggs in her basket. I think that's hysterical.
0: The skating is really good here. It um, is. It's impressive. It, it is impressive. And the actresses and the athletes that they got to, they're excellent. Um, and I like this new skate thing that Tina does. It's savage. It's so savage.
1: It really is. I love it. Because same rules apply to dancing. You have to break them in. It, really, to any sport, you wouldn't do anything unless you've broken your shoes in. Yeah. And everybody knows that. But I will buy it from Casey's character that she didn't. Even though she, she knows how to skate, she is so far removed from anything that's not academia, she would not know that.
0: No, and all she knows is that Tina has done this really incredible thing and has paid $600 for her to get new skates.
1: And it goes back to the money. She could have never afforded them.
0: That's right. She plays up on it. it I love it. I absolutely love it. This is the best part of the movie. I got to be honest with you. This, to me, is the best part of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's so well done um, because, obviously, Tina knows what she's doing Um what I don't love is that I feel like she genuinely liked Casey, but that's the thing. She liked her too much. And what she didn't realize was how far Casey was getting ahead of Jen until now. And what, what she even goes so far to say to Joan is that Casey is too polite to do what needs to be done to be competitive in this sport. And, that actually is very good dialogue writing because it acknowledges that that is what Tina likes about Casey's, that she is polite. She's a sweet kid. Um, but this is like Tina's snap-out-of-it moment, that everything that she and her daughter have worked for is on the line, and she never expected somebody that she's taken under her wing to be the one to beat. They thought it was all going to be... Uh, I think no, Nikki is the jumping shrimp. Uh the rocker girl's yeah. name. Yeah. She she was the favorite. I don't even remember what her name
0: is. And was. she was actually the best skater of all of them.
1: And nobody acknowledges what a good skater Tiffany is because Tiffany is just stuck in here not even as a plot device. Yeah. But but to check a box.
0: Yeah, she's just there.
1: They absolutely do nothing with her character, which is a wasted opportunity. But back to the scene in question where she buys the skates. Um, It also says a lot about the character, not only that she is sabotaging Casey, but she is totally ignoring her own daughter's needs. Because at this point, Jen is rooting Casey on. And saying, if you do well again, you're going to knock me out. And that is really what triggers Tina to do what she does. Uh, But I think the best part about this whole scene is a testament to the actors is that Teddy and Jen's reactions are so genuine when they realize what she's done. Uh, And Casey doesn't even acknowledge any of that. Like, they, they are so hurt. On her behalf, it's like how do you just ignore that and run off in a huff?
0: Well, because she expects the worst of them based on what her mother has told her to expect out of them. Um,
1: her mother that she goes crying to now,
0: right? Her mother who supports nothing, ever, who she goes crying to. And I love that scene. I love that Tina. I'm a hundred percent about her not apologizing. I love that she doesn't apologize. She never does. She never apologizes ever. It, even in the final moments of the film, never apologizes to Casey or to Joan. She, or to Sarah Hevo. She, no, no, no one. No one. I thought it was great. And it, it was like so on brand for the character. And I love that she says, I built my daughter on the rink. You built yours in a lecture hall. I went, oh, that's awesome.
1: There is some good. Di- they gave all the good dialogue to Kim Cattrall.
0: Yeah. I mean it's not a surprise. Um but the rest of the movie
1: should have risen to the occasion to meet it.
0: Yeah, and then and then from there every uh, the rest of the dialogue, the rest of the screenwriting, the rest of the everything, you know, as as we replay the, the same five scenes from here to the end of the movie, um it's, it, uh, it's just not it's not there. It's not working.
1: Literally the same five scenes because they even use the same music. Yeah. All of the girls skate to the same number. And that's where you could have actually done something different is that, you know, they compete for sectionals and then they go to regionals. Casey's got to learn all new choreography and she doesn't have a coach. She doesn't have a choreographer. She learns her choreography. All the girls teach her a little something and that's how she builds her routines. Right. So that could have been a whole nother challenge that she had to figure out. And it wouldn't have made this film feel so repetitive if they had given them different numbers. But I, I guess they didn't have the budget to cover all of that music. Good grief. Um, the only the only thing that kind of bugs me a little bit is that I feel like it contradicts aside from being repetitive, it also contradicts itself. If Tina didn't think that Casey had what it took why did she try to eliminate her?
0: Because she just wants Jen to make it. She doesn't care that Casey can do it. She cares that Casey can do it over Jen. Jen's her meal ticket. You know, like that that's where your dance mom thing comes in.
1: No, I totally get what you're saying. And her goal is to get Jen in there at all costs. But the thing is, if she's saying that Casey lacks that cutthroat drive to make it, she didn't really need to take her out.
0: Um, Well, in terms of her skill, though, she was better than Jen. She All she cared about was getting Jen to sectionals. It doesn't matter that Casey didn't have the cutthroat na- nature that Tina did. That's what was intimidating about her. She didn't have to be cutthroat. She was just that skilled.
1: Well, and I guess that's it. The cutthroat nature is more about getting to number one. They were fighting for the fourth spot. Yes. Casey was threatening to knock Jen out because Jen was sort of barely hanging on.
0: Right. So now she swears off the skating. Mom's thrilled, by the way. Um, And she gets her Harvard interview, and in the last great moment of this film, you get dokes from Dexter. I mean, I, I was excited to see dokes again. Um, and Casey has her moment of clarity where she realizes and she goes so far as to say this to her mother when her mother goes, you just gave up on your dream because Casey walks out of the Harvard interview so that she can go groveling back to Tina, mind you, and beg to be coached. Um, because Jen gave up a spot for her, because Jen was trying to prove her loyalty to Casey, which was nice. That as a plot device worked. Um, But it was kind of like a rushed scene. Like, they rushed it to get to this interview. Um, I like the fact that she calls her mother out on it and goes, I didn't give up my dream, I gave up your dream. And you know what? That's where Mom is supposed to have a character arc.
1: Yes. And instead... I don't even think she cared so much about what was said. I think she cared more about giving up the spot at Harvard and didn't acknowledge what that meant for the bigger picture. And then, you know, they're they're going into the final competition. Casey says they haven't talked in like two months. Yeah. Really?
0: They haven't talked really? in two
1: months. And... I think I broke her heart.
0: Yeah, I think I broke her heart. Um, And they give Tina they they turn Tina, Tina into Tanya Harding but they don't they can't say it's her but i mean they basically give her a Tanya Harding storyline right that's why she got tossed from Sarajevo um and in in what this to me where i just really did give up on this movie i have to be honest with you is mom doesn't have the character arc when Tina calls her on or uh, excuse me when Casey calls her on not giving up Casey's dream on giving up on mom's dream And they have this really hurtful dialogue where Joan says to Casey, well, what is this? Just make you feel beautiful?
1: And Casey
0: goes "And Is there anything wrong with that? And says, what do you have against Tina? And Joan's answer is. I'll just always hate the prom queen. Uh, You're an adult. You're an adult with another child. How vain and how childish a response for a scholar than I hate the prom queen.
1: It set her entire character and really this entire film back because you just dumbed everything down with that line. It is such a regression and this story had the potential to be such a powerful scene because again you've got this character that's trying to build a strong daughter and she she says what you're going to throw everything away so that you can you can feel beautiful and casey fires back at her what's wrong with that why not having both why not be able to have both right And that's that should be the moment where Joan recognizes, you know, good for her. She's got brains and beauty. I can send my well-rounded daughter out into the world. And instead, she turns her nose up again.
0: Well, because that has a shelf life, a shelf life, a shelf life, a shelf life.
1: How many times did I have to hear the, the phrase shelf life? No. And this is where it was a big miss, not including what happened with Casey's father to a point where I'm wondering if they deleted a scene because this is where, you know, you learn that the father left her for a younger woman or maybe, you know, even if we want to get that heavy-handed, the father left her for a figure skater and that's why she's got such a personal vendetta with it.
0: Yeah. You know what I was waiting for? I was waiting to find out that the skater that Tina took out was Joan. That's where I thought it was going, and
1: that would have made sense. Not, I guess you always hate the prom queen. What a weak cop out! Awful. Yeah,
0: it was awful. Terrible screenwriting. Okay, go buy another wool sweater. Squ- wool sweater. You look like a floor runner. Uh, okay, let's move on to to sectionals. Um. Yeah. Okay. So so Casey shows up, and she does a great job. And and I'm sorry, but this entire scene is where you're supposed to like be won over by Tina and her relationship with Casey. And I think part of the reason why it doesn't work is because Tina doesn't change. Casey doesn't really change, because even in that moment, Casey basically has no faith in herself. But mom shows up, and once we have a medal around our neck, that's my daughter. And in both times that we watched this movie, I screamed, shut up, mom, at the television <laughs> set. You
1: did. You absolutely did. No. and Compounded with that final number has such over-the-top reactions, From the secondary cast is Casey skating her final number, you know, that glowing, beaming pride. I'm not even just talking about mom. I'm talking about when Tina's won over and Jen is looking at everything that she couldn't be for her mother and, and repairing the relationship with Tina. To me, it would have been much stronger if Jen straight up turned her back on Tina and she was Casey's coach. Because that's it. Jen's got all of the, the know-how to do this. She just doesn't have the heart to do it. And if if she was the one backing Casey up, which she's been her cheerleader the entire time, that all works. But I would have bought into that more. And I would have rather seen that than have had Casey go groveling back to Tina. Right. But I guess you needed that conflict with mom, which you had anyway.
0: Yeah. And now we can go to the Olympics because that's exactly how it happens. <laughs> um, Do you have anything else before we move on to the cast here? I do not. Michelle Trachtenberg, I'm sorry. You were good in this movie. I'm sorry you were cast in it because I like Michelle Trachtenberg a lot. I thought she did a good a job as she could with this this 2d one-dimensional not even 2d it's a one-dimensional film and a one-dimensional character it's it's it's, the more i think about all of this the more frustrated i get
1: i mean i really like her in this movie aside from you know, my one comment about her whining when she pitches the project, I think that she makes Casey very endearing. I buy the, uh, you know, I, I buy her as being the brainiac into physics as much as I do on the ice. I applaud her for doing so much skating. I mean, she's Canadian, so it's in the blood, I suppose. But I still think that she did a great job. It, it's not just that she had balance and composure On the ice, but she she was able to do some tricks. You know, she did the I I, forgive me for not knowing the names of the moves. But, you know, she she went on one leg and that that was all her. There's no cutaways. Trust me. I looked. That She did a good job. I I think she was great. And I mean, she was such a big childhood actress for us. I wish she had done more. Mm -hmm. This was like one of the last big things that she did.
0: Yeah uber talented. Um, Hayden Penitieri plays Jen. Disney loves her. I gotta be honest with you, she's the best character in the movie.
1: As far as fully formed character arcs go, I think so. Even just down to the minutia where she's eating popcorn while she's watching Casey because she finally can now. She doesn't have to watch everything she puts in her mouth. Um... Yeah, I, I really like her. I love the breakdown of the popular girl, and especially once we get to see her for who she really is once skating is out of the picture. I, I really liked her as a character, and I think Hayden Panettiere did a great job.
0: Joan Cusack plays Joan. Joan is Joan. I said it before. I love Joan Cusack. So many people talk about her as Jessie. If you want to see Joan Cusack nail <laughs> comedy, though... Go watch In-N-Out. People forget about that movie. Go watch In-N-Out. You want to see her nail comedy? She's the worst character in this movie, and she's one of the worst characters I've ever had to review with you on this show. Wow. And I've watched with you The Black Cauldron.
1: (laughs) Uh, I, I really don't have anything to add. She's insufferable. Kim Cattrall plays Tina...
0: And what I like about it is, she just is what she is. Um, I I wish we would have had a little bit of a character arc with her. I like the fact that she doesn't apologize, but the character doesn't grow. But I like Kim Cattrall in the role. I think she makes sense for the role. That's
1: about it. But I can't say anything else about it. Jen is probably the best as a fully formed character, but I think Tina is probably my favorite character. Like I said, they gave her all the good dialogue. Uh, I love that she's unapologetic. And for that, I mean, I don't want to say that she gets a pass on not having a character arc, but like, there's not too many places you can go with it because you don't want to see her apologize. You can't soften her that much. I think Casey softens her as much as she's ever going to just because she knows that she can't be as hard and Casey's not going to be able to take it as well as Jen.
0: Yeah. Trevor Bloomis plays Teddy, the love interest. They may as well have cast a character called Tall, Dark, and Handsome. <laughs> um, I They work. They work together. Um, I think I think when he shows up at her house with the Zamboni, it's a nice gesture, though it it couldn't possibly happen for a multitude of reasons. Um, but I think he cares for Casey. I think I think Teddy cares for Casey. I, I it the whole, but the whole thing is just so strange. I know that the Zamboni on her frozen pond was the peace offering, but they never. I don't know. It's just like he gets sworn off by Casey and it's a nice gesture, but it just seems like it came up out of nowhere. Like at least like the thing was she makes amends with Jen, but it seems like she hasn't talked to Teddy in months. And all of a sudden now he just shows up with the Zamboni and we're good to go.
1: Right. With Jen. Because you saw what happened with her relationship with Tina and and that all fall apart when she blow when she decides that she's not going to skate anymore. She blows off the practice. Tina hunts her down at school, uh, you know, and Jen takes her final stand. You see that it's not just about Jen wanting to change her life, that it's also that she can't forgive her still you never get that moment with Teddy and they probably could have done something because he's working for her he he could have quit he could have said no more zamboni driver or you know it could have been a small very small throwaway scene but just something for him to take a stand against her
0: yeah and that moment never comes right final say i'll go first <laughs> surprise surprise um yeah no this This is probably in the bottom 10 for me of films we've discussed on monoreal radio. Yowza. Um, Because I feel like I'm just watching people do things. Um, I I know that Casey standing up to her mom and pursuing her dream. It's a Disney film. You're going to see that. You know what I mean? Like, when you think about especially because you have a film called Ice Princess, you think about so many tip you know typical Disney princesses, classical Disney princesses in the in the classic sense. Ariel wants something more, Belle wants something more, Jasmine wants something more. They all want something more. They all want to break the mold. And you root for them to get there. And they do it. Casey does the same thing, but because the rest because the rest of the movie is so poorly written, it, it kind of doesn't matter. I And I feel like because so many of them don't get their full character arc, I don't even think Casey really gets it because Casey had raw talent and she put, just puts it to use. I, the most she does is stand up to her mom, but you could tell she wasn't really into it to begin with. So she's not really all that changed. Like, if I'm going to watch something about nothing, I'll watch Seinfeld. You want to talk about... You want a show about nothing that was spectacular? You can watch nothing and it's great. This is not the nothing that's great. So it's it's at the bottom of my list.
1: I'm just realizing something else, too. I, I know we've bashed on Mom so much, but what I'm realizing, too, now, because Casey doesn't have this full arc... Again, you're trying to raise a strong person, but you, you're you so concerned with the shelf life of this figure skating, it, it almost shows a lack of faith in Casey that you can't see beyond this. Like, wh- she designed this whole program. She's going to have success in this field even when she can no longer skate. And that would have been how you land Casey's arc, too, if she could have proven that to her mother, that it's not just about doing it right now, but it's about an entire future in this industry and that she found her calling.
0: For sure.
1: Uh, But as far as my final synopsis goes, um, this is certainly not the same when you view it as an adult. I certainly don't recommend watching it if you are over the age of 30 maybe even over the age of 25. Uh, I think it's a great movie for kids in its simplicity. I I think that they'll enjoy the skating. I think that they'll enjoy the music. I think that they'll enjoy the comedic moments in it. Uh, But it just doesn't hold as a good movie. I think what I liked about it so much at the time in 2005 was that we were coming off of those tropey dance movies and this did deviate from the formula a little bit but not enough to make it a great movie that stands on its own years later I also think what I liked about it then too is that it was very easy to see all of the screenwriting elements because it is so basic albeit not a great script as far as the dialogue goes as f- and as repetitive as it is it's very much 101 where you can clearly see all the story beats, action, reaction, cause and consequence. And I think that that's what I appreciated so much about it at the time was because I-, I felt like it was so easy to break down, and and it it still is, even though I feel like we're struggling to talk about it right now because of the repetition.
0: That's the thing. I didn't think we would be sitting here... This far into this conversation confused as to where we are, but because the film is so repetitive and it is just the same thing over and over again, it is so easy to lose track of where you are in the timeline. But we want to know what you have to say about Ice Princess. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, guys. My name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four night Disney cruise ship and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future Thanks for everything.
1: So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News
0: this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you are looking for media kits or print or graphic design, perhaps you need invitations for an upcoming event, or you just need that Disney home decor. Kelly has you covered, plus listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code Monorail 10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything that she has to offer at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. We got a trailer for the Rescue Rangers this week.
1: We sure did. Um,
0: I gotta be honest with you. I think the trailer looks good. I think it, has some funny moments. The only issue I have with it is that I love Andy Samberg. We love John Mulaney. But I don't feel like I'm watching Chip and Dale talk to each other. I feel like I'm watching Andy Samberg and John Mulaney talk to each other through animated characters.
1: I get that. And I think part of it is there's just such a nostalgia factor. Um, I think once you get into episodes, it'll be something that just kind of falls by the wayside and you'll be able to just get into the story instead of thinking, oh, this is, you you know, it'll be like watching Pirates of the Caribbean. Like Johnny Depp is my favorite actor, but I don't see him. Anytime I watch Pirates, I think that'll all fade away.
0: Right, and they say it's a comeback, not a reboot. I like. The, I love that, actually. I like the premise of it. I think this movie's going to be fun, and I think it does open the door for more rescue rangers. I don't think they're doing this for a one-off. I think they're doing this because they plan on making this into a franchise and doing more with it, um, but cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic with it. I'm excited for it. All right. uh, The mask mandate at Walt Disney World has been lifted. If you are fully vaccinated, you can now take your mask off, whether you are indoors or outdoors, with the exception of Disney transportation. If you're on a monorail, um, they still want you to wear the mask, which I guess makes sense. You're in close proximity and it's such a confined space. Like, you can make the case for, if I'm sitting next to somebody at Frozen Ever After, what's the difference between having it on or off between there and the monorail? But at least the monorail, like, in that theater, it's a larger open space, and you have air filters. So I, I get it. I mean, look, I'm just happy that when we go back to Disney, we'll be able to just walk around mask-free, take pictures, and just enjoy, you know, at least a sense of normalcy again.
1: This has been a long time coming. I'm happy that we can finally have a sense of normalcy. My big question is, though, how how do they enforce this? How are they going to know? Are we going to have to uh, be wearing our vaccine cards? Are we going to have to... You know, New York State had the uh, Excelsior pass, so... You know, there, there's got to be I'm wondering if there's a way to digitally track it once you make your reservation, because I, I think that would be the best way to do it for guests so that you don't have to worry. You know, what if you forget your vax card? That That's going to be a huge stress in planning for your vacation. So I'm hoping there's a way to go about this digitally where it's just a one and done. You can show your proof of vaccination uh, and that they're not going to leave this up to the honor system to your point though it's just funny you know you're saying what's the difference between the monorail and going into frozen ever after into a vented theater I guess that is the difference is the ventilation system but even the last time we were down there we were having a laugh over it it's wear your masks inside wear your masks inside now fill in all the empty space yeah um there's a there's a Pick Disney. Pick what it's going to be, you well, know? Well,
0: the thing is, there is no right answer. Yeah, Disney's going to be wrong no matter what. That's just how it's going to be.
1: Oh, you can't please everybody, but just be consistent. that That's my point.
0: Right. And, I mean, I think it is going to be on the honor system. I don't think Disney's going to ever make anybody show a proof of vaccination. I think it is going to be the honor system. So if that's the case, nobody's going to be wearing masks at Disney World anymore unless they're trying to be overly cautious but I get it Um, all right let's talk about something that came completely out of the blue
1: really I thought masks or no masks were going to be the biggest news that we had this week but no this this completely took us by surprise I'm
0: on YouTube this morning and you know when you log on it gives you like recently uploaded videos ...for accounts that you are subscribed to. And of course, I'm subscribed to Disney Parks. So, when I see Story Living by Disney... ...and it was uploaded like 20 minutes prior... ...I was like, what is this? I could not believe what it was I was watching. That... Okay. For those of you who haven't caught up yet... ...Story Living by Disney... ...is going to be a series of Disney master-planned communities... Basically gated communities where they're going to have shopping, dining, fitness centers, recreation centers, clubhouses, man-made amenities like pools and beaches and lagoons, and they are they they bought up desert outside of Coachella, and they're going to have their first master plan community, Cotino. There is a lot to discuss here when it comes to this plan. Um,
1: I want to start with, if this at all sounds familiar to you, it's because, well, what, what was it now? Somebody wanted to do a master plan community in Florida called Celebration? Hmm. It, it's just so interesting how Disney recycles ideas like they recycle animatronics. But my my big question is, what didn't work about it the last time that's going to work now?
0: Yeah, um, that's the big question. I mean, you can make the case for Disney is always finding ways to reinvent old ideas. They learn from the past. They build on it. Um, But what's really interesting about all of this is that they chose Josh Demarro to host the video to
1: announce this it's not interesting it's smart it's the smartest thing that they could have done
0: <laughs> it is it's just funny that somebody that's running parks is now the he's kind of the figurehead at least on camera for this project it's not an accident no it of course it's not an accident not at all Now, here's the thing. I'm not so sure how well this is going to work. And there's a couple of reasons why. First, they said they're going to have a number of different communities. Some are going to be 55 and up. Some are going to be regular residential for people of all ages.
1: Now, see, that's smart, though, because they do have the Golden Oaks community in Florida. But it is not affordable at all. So if you're doing all of these different locations, and you are making it a variety, a 55 and up and everything, I think that's the first major issue that they've addressed is that they've made it affordable.
0: Right. But here's my thing. You're going in Southern California, right? You're going outside of Coachella. You're in the desert. It's going to be beautifully landscaped, but I can't imagine it's going to be affordable. I don't see how it's going to start at any less than $7.50 per home. And they said that for the amenities, such as the lagoon and the man-made beach, they're going to sell passes to the public to come and utilize the amenity. Now, here's where, to me, like my parents live in a gated community in Florida. There is a golf course that is semi-private so people can go and play at the golf course. But, like, people can't go use the community pool. You can't go pay to use the community pool. You can't use the fitness center because that is an amenity that is special for the people that bought in that community, that pay their HOA fees. I'm not so sure how thrilled I'm going to be spending what I mean—and I don't know anything. This is just a guesstimate— of at least three quarters of a million dollars to live in this Disney community where they are promoting resort-style living so that the general public can use me like we're a water park.
1: By that logic, I can stay at the All-Star Sport and go swim at the Poly. Exactly. Exactly. And you're not going to let me do that.
0: No. So I just don't know how well this is going to work out. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I hope the best for them. You don't want to see them fail.
1: Well, I think the first choice of location was very strategic. I don't think that this is going to be like three communities. I think if we're if they're going to do this, they're going to do it. I think that they're going to be regional. I'm not. I'm not going to go so far as to say they're going to be one per state, but I I can see there being 25. And what better place to start with than California? California has always got to have like. The new this and the first that. So I totally get that. And I think the location is extremely strategic outside of Coachella because you have an entire group of people around our age who have grown up at the Disney parks whose parents probably worked in or adjacent to the film industry. Right. So they've grown up with money. They've grown up with Disney in their backyard. They love it there. And now you've got a lot of these influencers who are Mm going to be looking to buy that may not necessarily be able to afford around the Los Angeles or Anaheim area, and they would be willing. Now, not that the desert's that much cheaper if you consider a place like Palm Springs. Right. But
0: this is right outside of, mind you.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know that it's going to be that much more cost effective, but... I think you're you're certainly going to get a couple of influencers that maybe, you know, they go in on a three-bedroom house and that's how, you know, this the appeal is going to spread. I mean, the, the artwork looks really nice. Like, I saw a couple yeah. of pictures where they had, like, paddle boards and stuff like that. Obviously, that's not going to be the middle of the desert. But, you know, if they eventually branch out, if they do more of them in Florida, like, it all looks nice. I don't know about... You pay to live there and anybody can come and, and patronize it and swim in the pool. But it's just, it's an interesting concept. My question is, though, why now? I mean, I can see where Disney would want to capitalize on the real estate market at the moment. I can see where they would want to capitalize on things like, you know, especially on our, in our neck of the woods, there's been a mass exodus. Right. And... People are, you know, going in droves to Florida. I get all of that, but it's like, where is this money coming from when we can't even get Tron off the ground? And, and Epcot is in shambles.
0: I mean, we saw the first quarter earnings for 2022, right? I mean, Disney is making money hand over fist right now. But it does beg the question, why this project? Why now? when you have so many other things that are just left unfinished.
1: I've said it before and I'll say it again. Chapek is like a five-year-old who takes everything out of the toy box and will not put one thing away before he moves on to the next toy.
0: Yeah, and we're interested in knowing what you have to say about any of this news. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. We mentioned that social media. We are also on TikTok at Monoreal Radio. We gave you that email address, and for links to everything related to the show, you can find it online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone.